I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. Love Letters is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate. Then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. It might seem too on-the-nose or cinematic to have a massive life epiphany at a loved one's funeral. But for my friend Justin, having a dramatic revelation is kind of on brand. So my Aunt Bernadette passes away, and her and my Uncle Mike live on a farm in Western Maryland. Mike and my cousin Jody decide they're going to bury Bernadette on the farm. We're out in the middle of this field, and Jody is kind of giving a speech about her mom and how she just sort of was adventurous and she'd be spontaneous. I think we all thought she just was this housewife who lived home on the farm and helped out Mike. I didn't know she was gallivanting and jetting around with Jody to go like spontaneous trips to New York to see the Rockettes or see a Broadway show or going to Yosemite or Grand Canyon. Justin's standing there and he's thinking, wait a minute, I want to live courageously too. I don't want to miss out on the life I'm meant to have. And I turned to my mom, who's standing next to me in this field, and I just, I'm like, I'm going to quit my job. And she's like, okay, like, be quiet. I'm like, no, I'm going to do it, like, right now. Like, as soon as this is over, I'm going to quit my job. And she's like, okay, okay, we'll let them finish. This decision to follow his passion takes Justin on a journey that involves falling in love, breakups, Martin Scorsese, Hall & Oates, the Kelly Clarkson show, and a lesson very much still in progress about the price of a dream. From the Boston Globe and PRX, this is Love Letters. I'm Meredith Goldstein. friend Justin Wilson for a really long time. In the early to mid-90s, we were just two theater kids acting like we were on the show Glee, long before Glee even existed. Back then, Justin had the swagger of a 90s-era Jonathan Taylor Thomas and the parted blonde hair of a young Leo DiCaprio. We met in third grade. After school, we would get in Tiffany Brooks' mom's minivan and go to Columbia School for the Arts. I've always thought you were one of the smartest people, but being like, I can't believe like she's smart and she knows how to sing. Both of those things are very debatable. We went to school together through high school and then moved to different cities for college and adult life. In my 20s, I'd hear about how Justin was doing, and it was clear that of all of my classmates, Justin had landed 
the coolest job. He got hired as an assistant to the band Hall & Oates and began touring the world with them. For younger listeners, Hall & Oates is a pop rock duo, Daryl Hall and John Oates, that had a bunch of number one hits in the 70s and 80s. They're in the Songwriters Hall of Fame. You might know their singles Maneater or Rich Girl or Making My Dreams Come True. I'm partial to Rich Girl. At first, Justin is arranging details for tours. Over time, though, he's given more and more responsibility. That doesn't surprise me, because Justin understands the minds and moods of performers. He can work with a bunch of difficult personalities at once. Honestly, doing high school theater probably helps with that. Justin is dating around during this time, though finding some big love is not his first priority. The job is everything, and it's intense. A few years into the gig, in 2003, he buys a condo in Washington, D.C. with his big Hall & Oates salary. He's barely there, but he uses D.C. as a home base. Right around that time, when he's not really looking, he meets someone. I met Ryan during that time, and he was a graduate student. He had just moved to D.C. for grad school, and we were together for three years. And because he was in school, he had this great flexibility. He had a lot of breaks. So he could travel with me. And you could just fly him places. Yeah, I had a ton of miles or I just had the money. Like we traveled by private jet a lot, but we also traveled commercial quite frequently, especially I had to manage homes for Daryl in London, the Bahamas, upstate New York and Maine and then New York City. So we were always traveling around in between tours. I was also managing all these properties. So just a lot of miles and I could fly Ryan like wherever I wanted. And it was really great for a while. They break up after about three years because they're young. And for the next few years, Justin is single and dating around. Right before the breakup, Justin had sold his D.C. condo and invested in a nicer brownstone in another neighborhood. Most of his time off, he's actually spending in New York. It's 2010 when something big happens. Hall & Oates decide they're changing their team. After a decade of working for them, Justin finds out he's out of a job. This is devastating, except in some ways it's not. It gives Justin a moment to admit how overwhelming his life has been for so many years. I kind of wanted out, but I couldn't figure out how to get out. There was never a good time. There's always like, oh, now we're going to go to Australia. Oh, now we're going to do this movie with Betty White next week or next month. And now we're going to do this thing. And so now I was like, oh, I don't have to actually do the dirty work. It didn't go down well at all. And we can talk about that later. But no, that's for yeah, um, a different podcast. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, um, you know, it's like in a relationship aspect, it's like I ended a 10 year relationship and never spoke to or saw those people ever again, which is something I have dealt with over time, but that was like a divorce. But in some ways it leaves you open to meet someone. Yes, so I am total freedom. I've got money in the bank. I own a brownstone. I've got two friends living in it, paying the mortgage. I had already paid to have like a summer share in Fire Island for like four weekends or four weeks. So I stayed for the whole week. 
And I'm just attracting a lot of men because there's that energy and that spirit and I'm just smiling my face off. This new freedom in Justin's life, this ease he feels, contributes to him meeting someone really special. I first encounter my partner Nick in Philadelphia at a a gay bar. I, I have an affection for very tall men and Nick was six foot six. So he comes over, we're talking, and we kind of hit it off, but then he tells me he's in a relationship. And I'm like, oh, I just had a really messy other man situation. I was like, I don't want to be involved. And so I literally walk away. And this is like July or August. And then come October in D.C., they do this fantastic thing called the High Heel Race around Halloween. And it's a charity thing. And all the Owners of the restaurants and bars, employees put on high heels and they literally race down the street. Some are dressed in full drag. Some are just men in high heels, gay, straight, by everything. And I run into Nick again. And he's like, hey, it's you. And I'm like, I'm a little blitzed. And I'm like, still got that boyfriend problem? And he's like, no, we broke up. And I'm like, oh, great. And we just, like, just hit it off. He was younger, right? I'm like 32, 33, and he is 24. And had already graduated Stanford and was working for some tech company in Virginia. Justin and Nick get serious pretty quickly. I'm like, I have this brownstone, and now I'm living in the master bedroom, getting ready to sell it and fixing the house up so I can return to New York full-time. And so I'm like, you can just stay here with me. And that goes great from like, and we met in October... I think he probably was really in there more full-time in November or December. Justin is going back and forth to New York City a lot, trying to find another job in the music industry. But even without that job lined up, Justin and Nick decide they want to make the New York City move happen now. So Justin sells his fancy D.C. brownstone and rents a two-bedroom loft. Nick gets a job in tech. When the New York experience starts, Justin is still flush with resources from the house sale. But as the cash starts dwindling... He needs something for income. He tries the casting business, like auditioning actors for roles. He even works with my sister Brett in her casting business. He finds the work interesting, but it doesn't come with a reliable income. The full-time job he finally finds is in marketing, as a right-hand man to a big CEO type. The work pays less money than Hall & Oates did, but it's a job. The only thing is, the work itself is miserable. It's a ton of deadlines and stress, and it makes Justin really unhappy. I'd never worked in an office before, ever, because I was always on the road. And casting is kind of like the same thing. So I'm working like nine to nine every day. I come in in the morning to 500 emails. Nick is telling me, like, you have to quit this job. I don't care what you do. You just have to do something else. Like, because it was affecting our home life as well. I was uber depressed which I'd never really been a majorly depressed person. I kept clonopin at my desk at work because I'd have these like weird panic attacks I never had had. Justin, for his sanity, has kept some casting work on the side. That's why he's asked by a friend around this time to help with a Martin Scorsese-produced show on HBO called Vinyl. The show needs drag queens for a specific scene in one episode. Justin offers them some names, because he knows drag queens, 
But then he's told, we actually want you to be in this scene too. Justin learns that Martin Scorsese himself has seen Justin's email and noticed the thumbnail picture that went with it. That picture shows a masculine Justin with his full beard. Scorsese apparently says, what about that guy in drag? Get him on set. Justin happily says yes to the job and takes time off from work for the shoot. He winds up on set having the time of his life for the first time in a long time. Even though it was a pretty horrible shoot, it was like 22-hour shoots, July, I'm in a full-length, heavy, beaded, bejeweled gown from the 70s. A horrible wig. I looked like a cross between Marilyn Monroe and Divine and like had a really rough night out. There was no AC, sweating, but I immediately just connected with these other actors and made friends, like lifelong friends that I'm still friends with. This thing tickled and twinkled something. I'm like, it, it did something. So like, I need to maybe look at that more. About a week later is when Justin goes home for his Aunt Bernadette's funeral. Justin and his mom are standing on Bernadette's farm property, hearing from his cousin Jody about how Bernadette prioritized what she loved. And Jody's really speaking about how, like, she lived life to the fullest and was always willing to go on an adventure with Jody or with her grandsons. And how life is just too short. And we all know that. We all hear it all the time. But something about the way that Jody was... I don't know why I'm getting emotional. You're loud. <laughs> the, way Jody, the way Jody was saying it on top of this field and the sun and like she's just saying life's too short and how her mom just followed her heart and followed her children and her grandchildren and like how we all need to do the same thing. At the end of Jody's speech, still at the funeral, Justin sends his boss an email that he's out. He quits. That's that. He goes home and tells his partner, Nick, I want to be an actor. Like, full time. Justin realizes that the happiest he's been was on that vinyl set, dressing up, performing, and being with other creative people. In 2014, Justin becomes one of the many aspiring actors in New York City who are looking for their big break. How does this choice change Justin's relationship with Nick? How does it affect Justin's own happiness as a person trying to find his purpose? How does Justin wind up in sparkly underwear on Hulu? We'll get there after the break. Okay, we're back. So Justin's had this epiphany at a funeral. He wants to be an actor. He quits his day job. He's still with his boyfriend, Nick. They've been together for three years at this point. So Nick was fully supportive of quitting my job. Like, if this is going to make you happy and you're not in this horrible nine-to-nine job that owns you and owns your life... I'm cool. Like, it'd be great if you'd be making some more money. But his salary had increased drastically. So he was doing pretty well. But I, my bank account was dwindling. Justin books the first film he auditions for, 
a small indie short called The White Spruce, and it makes him feel like it was all meant to be. The work gives him some connections and footage, but it pays like nothing. This new life, chasing his dream, starts to affect the relationship with Nick, not just because of money, but also lifestyle. Justin has to make a lot of sacrifices. Some of the jobs he gets are background roles, like being an extra. Justin also goes for stand-in work, which means he's literally standing in for an actor who's going to be in the scene. Like he'll just sit there as people adjust lighting for the shoot. I definitely got more erratic. Hours are awful. Sometimes you don't get your call time until 1 a.m. and you've got to be there at 4.30 in the morning. There's no respect for your time at all. So that was affecting Nick and I as well, because I would be up till midnight. Like, I don't have a call time yet. I don't know when I'm working. And he's like, girl, I got to go to sleep. (laughs) For Justin, it's the first taste of an uncomfortable new reality. It's really hard to commit all of your energy and attention to acting while maintaining a romantic relationship. You use the word erratic. It's like you're all over the place and it has to be priority number one. Yeah, and auditions at the point we're in person, back then we're still in person, and you get audition notices like the night before for the next morning. And there's just a lot of shifting around, and that was just affecting us. And like, luckily, Nick can fall asleep in the drop of a hat and stay stone cold asleep until he has to wake up. I'm a really light sleeper. I sleep with surround sound speakers, and I used to have earplugs in. But even with that, I'd still be tossing and turning. So if I had to be uh, on a shoot at 3.30 in the morning, 4 in the morning, I need to go to bed at 8 or 9. And if he came to sneak into bed at like 11, I would wake up. And then we'd have like little fights. Nick approached me about breaking up. And he had already made the decision. And I think at this point, like, we kind of had become really good roommates. Nick and I lived really well together. We had adopted or rescued an American bulldog named Sir Humphrey Bogart, who we nicknamed Bogey. We had this beautiful floor-through apartment in Hell's Kitchen with a backyard. And he just was like, I don't think this is working anymore. Like, physically, we were not... Like, the sex aspect of our relationship had pretty much died. We're in different places in our life, but also it's like we were in different places where he is now making a ton of money, wanting to go away on these lavish vacations with his other friends who went to Stanford, who are all making a ton of money. And I'm now at 36 years old, being like, I'm going to just throw everything away, caution to the wind, and go into acting, and at first making nothing. They've been together for five years when they break up in 2015. But Nick and Justin do stay close. Nick even keeps him on his health insurance for a while as a domestic partner. Justin tries to hold on to the apartment. He also keeps adding to his resume. In 2016, Justin meets a younger man, a 24-year-old named Timothy. They are very into each other, and Timothy seems to understand Justin's passion. At this point, Justin also gets a first real role on a big TV show. He's a character with a name and with lines. It's on a Hulu show called The Path with Aaron Paul from Breaking Bad. I'm opposite Aaron Paul and Levin Ramblin. That's my first real deal TV job. And I'm a guy named Tad getting married on a rooftop. Come on, Chloe. Come on, Chloe. No. You 
promised you'd sing her song for us. Whoa. Oh my god. I guess I Get up there. Oh. And I'm with Timothy at that point. He's so excited and happy and supportive. We are together for about a year and a half, and then he kind of approaches me with almost the same conversation that Nick has. Because even when he first met me, I was making a little more money doing the stand-in work, which was more consistent. But now I'm only getting like a TV role or a film job like once every three months or six months. And it seems like the more you commit, the further in you get to acting, the more you commit to doing bigger roles, the less you can have love in your life in a romantic way, it, it seems, from, the, like, from what you're telling me. I think he believed or realized that he was never going to be number one, at least at this point in my life. Like, my focus on getting this career launched and up and running. I mean, when you are starting off as an actor, you're a startup. You're starting a business, and it's going to take a long time before you get a return on your investment. This is becoming a central question in Justin's life. Can you really find and keep love if your dream is your number one priority? I personally think it's easier to have it all if your dream happens to pay well. Like, if you're a busy doctor, someone you date might say, hey, I get it, you have to go save lives. And to put it in acting terms, if you're Pedro Pascal and you say, hey, I'm sorry, I'm on two hit TV shows at once. Can you wait a few extra hours for me to get off work? The answer is, sure. I'd wait for Pedro Pascal. But this is a dream still only moderately fulfilled for Justin. And the small successes are harder for others to see. One thing to mention here is that at some point during this era of small credits and a growing resume, Justin is technically without a home. He moved out of the New York apartment he was living in in 2017 because there's no way he could cover the rent at that time. He's basically couch surfing. He winds up at a friend's place in the Hudson River Valley, watching the property in exchange for housing. I am 40 years old. I have no money. I'm living in my friend's barn, which I'm grateful for, but I'm like, I'm living in a barn. You used to own a brownstone. <laughs> what the fuck? I used to like travel around in a private jet in four seasons, but what have I done? The barn has been converted to apartments, but they're being renovated and like I'm in there and I'm just in there with Sir Humphrey Bogart, my bulldog and I. It's cold, it, the sun sets at like 3.30 or four and I am so alone. I'm like, what have I done? Oh my God, I fucked things up with Nick. I fucked things up with Timothy. I should have just like stayed with Ryan back in like 2004. I want to be clear here. Justin's background with money is similar to my own. We both come from families who got by in a middle-class area, but there wasn't a lot that was extra. Justin's parents are not the kind of people who can say, oh, honey, go be an actor. We'll cover your rent. He's been in the Hudson River Valley for months, feeling so low when he gets a job on a movie. It's March of 2018. The job doesn't pay much, but it's a movie starring Vera Farmiga, and the reason he gets it is that it's filming in the Hudson River Valley. So Justin feels like there's a reason he's up there. And this is the thing with acting. It's up, down, up. 
than nothing at all. And maybe you get a big break and you're like, oh yeah, this is all meant to be. More ups and downs follow. In 2019, he gets a role on an episode of the Ryan Murphy show, Pose. He plays a tycoon with a big house in the Hamptons, and he gets like 67 lines. Justin's told, this will lead to so much. And then, a pandemic happens. In 2021, two things happen that feel faded. Justin meets a man, a dancer and choreographer. For the first time, Justin feels like he's loved by someone who understands giving your life over to creative passion. Then Justin sees a casting call for a show about the history of Chippendales, the male dance review. Welcome to Chippendales is going to be a series starring Kumal Nanjiani about the man who invented the sexy dance group and made a ton of money from it. Justin sends an audition tape, even though he knows he's not a professional dancer and might not be the kind of guy they're looking for. From my memory, Chippendales dancers were hairless, and Justin is not that. But he gets called back, and called back again. And he books the role and is cast as the dancer, CJ. Welcome to Chippendales! I love this place! You need me! You need a choreographer. He winds up in L.A., He gets on more episodes than expected. For the first time ever, Justin makes enough money from acting to call it a real income. After the show airs in 2022, he's asked to go on a press tour for the series. One stop is the Kelly Clarkson show with the other dancers. The whole episode is a takeover, but we are there as the Chippendales dancers and we're doing a game show thing. So we are dancing, at least with our shirts off. We might be in a G-string. It's daytime TV, you can't really. So we're in these other outfits. And I get this flash dance number, and we have, like, no time to rehearse it. And we just sort of do it, but, like, so fun. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, Justin, you've... You're doing it. Like, it's been working. It's taken a few years. Not many, compared to a lot of other people I know. But I'm on this huge show with Juliette Lewis and Camille Nanjani, and Murray Bartlett, and Annalie Ashford, and so many other great people. And and I'm on the Kelly Clarkson show. I'm on this beautiful red carpet. I look fucking great because I've worked out like crazy again. And things are happening, and this is going to open so many doors. This should be a great moment in his romantic relationship. And yet, his boyfriend, even though he's an artist himself, tells Justin it's difficult to be with someone with these priorities— First, Justin had been away from New York for months because of Chippendales, which his boyfriend had trouble dealing with by the end. This boyfriend is also turned off by the fact that Justin has no home of his own and counts on friends for so much. To Justin's boyfriend, this means Justin has no real independence. They break up in February of 2023 after dating for a year and a half. Meanwhile, the Chippendales gig leads to not much of anything— Justin, now single and unemployed again, thinks about what he can offer someone new. If you tell your friends, like, okay, so I met this guy, he's very interesting, he's very hairy, and he's got a beard. <laughs> you know, he, he's 45, he was just on this great show, but, you know, he's, he's really struggling. Like, where does he live? Um, he's sort of really this nomadic human being. You know, the reason he was able to do Chippendales is because he didn't have a rent to pay in New York and he could go to L.A. and be there for several months at a time. 
he relies on his friends and his family who are supportive, who help him where he stays. And they're like, wait a minute, let me get this straight. This guy is 45. He's homeless, as you're telling me. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not homeless. I'm without a home. I've never been on the streets. This is a real tough point for Justin because he knows he could get a day job. But most of the time with acting, he's told about opportunities at the last minute. It can be a pretty desperate existence, especially when you don't have a home. And it's so confusing because he's often staying with friends who have beautiful places. Justin had one of those himself in his 20s, back when his friends barely had anything. Now it's flipped. Justin's in his 40s and his stuff is in suitcases, while his peers have built these grown-up lives. When I see homeless people, I get very emotional, especially when you when you see in their eyes. When they really are really struggling and they're not a drug addiction, they're not an alcoholic, they just want food and a place to stay. Like, I get it. I have been there and been so close to it. There are nights where I would drive around New York asking different friends if I could stay with them and going on these hotel apps, waiting for a price to drop. And sometimes if you wait till right till midnight, the price will drop. And I'll be like, all right, I don't have a lot of money, but you know, I'll, I'll pay this $59 to stay in this shithole for the night. And then I'll figure out, you know, tomorrow I'll just be like, mom and dad, I'm coming to visit for a week because I have nowhere else to go. And I mean, people I've dated don't really know that. So they, they definitely wouldn't be attracted. Why would you be attracted to that? I went to a, a really great talk back once for the film Tallulah with Tammy Blanchard and Allison Janney. And somebody asked the question, like, if you had advice for yourself, a younger version of yourself, and Tammy Blanchard was just like, do not make acting your only thing. If I hadn't known that sooner, I would have saved myself so much heartache and so much pain and so much struggle. And I heard it and I was like, I get it, girl. Like, my parents are telling me to get a job. My friends are telling me to get a job. My friend, who's this amazing life coach and vocal coach who has the farm upstate, is like, I think the reason you're excelling so fast is because you are solely focused on it. You don't have these other distractions. Justin keeps what he calls a gratitude journal. He believes that when he writes down what he wants, he might get it. So in my gratitude journal, I just keep saying, like, I have an abundance of income and residuals from working as an actor. But then I notice a relationship thing starts creeping in. It becomes less about, like, I want to be a series lead and I want to be in a juicy film. It's just, it becomes now, like, I am in a loving and supportive relationship with a partner who is understanding. Justin is letting more of that wish for love into that journal, which means he's looking. He was just on the CBS show FBI, playing a truck driver named Vince from Brooklyn. He's still hustling for auditions. For those who need to know, for either love or casting... He's six feet tall, can play a tough guy or show up in drag, and he has the same incredible heart he did when we were eight. You know, it just takes one job, one phone call that can come out of nowhere. And I know that each project I do builds, and I've been asked back by several directors for other projects. So it's like, I'm doing something right. And I know that somewhere in that Chippendales world, like 
those producers or those directors or those writers or those creators, those showrunners are going to call me for something else one day. It might not be next week. It may not be next year. It could be five years from now. But you do never know. Thank you, Justin, for sharing your story. Much gratitude and thanks, Meredith. This was an absolute joy. Love Letters is a production of the Boston Globe and PRX. Today's episode was produced by Jesse Remedios and Scott Hellman. Ned Porter does our audio mixing, sound design, and mastering. Justin's interview was recorded by H. Conley. Devin Smith and Maddie Mortel do our audience engagement. Love Letters illustrations by Ashanti Davis. Check them out on the Love Letters Instagram. Special thanks to Linda Henry. Our music is from APM. We're now on Discord where we'll pop in to discuss episodes. Sign up for the Love Letters newsletter and you'll get the invite link and more content. For all of it, go to boston.com slash loveletters. If you like the show, please follow us on Apple Podcasts. We're online at loveletters.show. You were also Homecoming King. Yes. <laughs> Which at our 10-year reunion, I was like, ladies and gentlemen, your homecoming king is now a queen. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>